time. Well, today, we pick back up in chapter 14. You know that we did the first half of that two weeks ago, and Paul was talking specifically about two spiritual gifts and their use within the church, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. And last week, or two weeks ago, you remember that Paul had one main thrust, and he said, we are to prefer intelligibility. We are to prefer things that happen in common language that everybody can understand. He says there's a place for speaking in tongues. There's a place for that. But we are to prefer prophecy because it's better. And it's better because, again, everybody can understand that. Everybody can be edified by that. And so Paul is, again, saying, hey, I want you to know that there's a place for speaking in tongues, but prefer what everybody can get. In this Sunday, uh, he's going to discuss those two spiritual gifts again, uh, and in the remaining weeks, uh, he's going to switch subjects, and he's going to say, I want to talk about resurrection. We are exactly four weeks from the close of this book, so we can see the finish line coming, and so at the end of August, we'll be concluding uh, the book of 1 Corinthians together. A few weeks ago, we learned that the church in Corinth was out of control, They had some spontaneous things that were happening in their service that they thought were very good. They thought were very spiritual. But Paul says, "Mm, I need to correct you on that. God is a God of order. And so he was giving them instructions again about these outbursts that were happening in their service. And he was reminding them again that there needs to be some boundaries placed around especially those two spiritual gifts. There needs to be some regulation, we found out a couple of weeks ago. And with that in mind, we're going to finish off 1 Corinthians 14 today, and I'm starting in verse 26. This is what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three, two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one interpret, to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of, con- uh, of, of confusion, but of peace. And in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he's not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Paul picks up again on this idea of uh, the gift of prophecy and the gift of speaking in tongues. And as we learned a few weeks back, Paul is not trying to stop the gift of speaking in tongues. He is saying there are some boundaries around that, but he's not wishing to stop that. And he's telling us 
that we are to practice these gifts in these ways, but not these ways. So that's what he's painting the picture of. Practice those properly and not in a way that is out of bounds. But he begins on a very positive note, and he begins in verse 26 with something I think that's very affirming. This is the way that he begins. He says in verse 26, When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up Again, insinuation of the church. And so he's saying that when we come together, there are many different gifts that come together within a public time of worship. And those gifts are coming in the form of music. Those gifts are coming in the form of lessons or teaching. Perhaps a revelation that's disclosing something about God to us. It's coming with a tongue or an interpretation. I want you to notice that all of those are verbal gifts. And oftentimes in a public service like this, verbal gifts are what are being used. But here's what he's saying. Anytime we're coming together, the gifts that should be used in the body are the ones that comprise the body. We are the ones who have gifts from God, and those are the ones that should be used within the service. I will never forget a time when I was in Malawi. This is years ago now. And I'll never forget going to a little church. In fact, I have a picture here of the little church that we went to. We were there for a Sunday worship service, and I'll never forget because the pastor was up front in the church, and people made their way into the church, and he sat up there on one of the wooden pews, and he had a a piece of paper. And people came up to him, and he was writing things down, and I realized what was happening. He was creating the order of service right there on the fly. And so people would come into him and say, you know, today I I have something that got a a, a testimony about what God did this week. And he'd write that down. And we we have a song that we sang that we prepared for. And so four ladies came up and sang a song. Another person gave an announcement about something that was happening in the future. And he was building this order of service on the fly. And I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting to watch. Now, you have to know that the service lasted almost three hours. It uh, It started about 40 minutes late. And so, again, for all of us who are very time-conscious Americans, that might not be the kind of thing that we would want. But it was beautiful to watch. And it was beautiful to see that, again, all of the gifts that were in that body were coming forward and were being used. I'm not arguing that we need to do that, that we need to build our order of service on Sunday morning as we start. Uh, There are some ways that that would really cause some stress for us. But I am saying this, that we should be including all, the gifts that are in this body into our service. And if something is not edifying, then don't do it. Because that's the whole reason we're here, is to see that the body of Christ is edified. With that in mind, Paul addresses three things that are cattywampus. So he gives the good news. Hey, the good news is all of your gifts are in use. That's a good thing. But I need to tell you about a couple things that are a problem. And there's three things, again, that are cattywampus. There are three things that are detracting from worship. There are three things that are bringing chaos, not order. And so Paul says, those are the things I need to address with you. He instructs the church in Corinth to bring order in three areas. To bring order around the gift of tongues, or the use of the gift of tongues. To bring order around the gift of the use of of interpretation. And to bring order around some women in the church that are causing some problems. So again, let's look at the three of those and how Paul is charging the church in Corinth to bring order. First, Paul asked the church in Corinth to bring order around the use of the gift of tongues. It's apparent that they are all simultaneously speaking in tongues, 
And this is sounding more like a flock of seagulls than anything that would encourage the church. It's like, you know, barking sea lions in some way. It's just kind of like, it's this noise out there that's causing a problem and not allowing people to really hear what God is wanting to accomplish. Paul's saying this is excessive and it's not helpful for the church. Let me remind you where I was two weeks ago. I want to reaffirm this again. I am what I would call a continuous or others would call a continuous meaning that I believe that the spiritual gifts from the early church also are continuing today. So I still believe that there is the valid use of the gift of tongues. It's a language in which somebody is speaking to God in a language that they never learned or they never rehearsed, and they're talking to God, and again, this heavenly language, and I believe that that does continue today. I know there are a lot of other Christians good Christians I'm not going to break fellowship with, but that would be cessationists, and they would say that the sign gifts or four main gifts have come to a close and were only used in the apostolic age but are not used today. Those gifts would be tongues, the interpretation of tongues, miracles, and prophecy. And so they would say all of those gifts faded out in their use and are no longer used today. I'm not going to break uh, again, fellowship with anybody who holds that view, but I want you to know where I come from that I think those gifts actually continue today. Again, with some boundaries around them, but they continue. As I've studied, again, all of the passages that relate to this, I think it's really hard to make a case uh, for cessation, for ceasing. It seems to me that in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, Paul's saying this is kind of what's normal in a church. This is the way a church is to operate. And I don't see him offering a lot of boundaries around, you know, this is now ending in any way. And so again, that's where I'm landing today. In Corinth, the gift of tongues has some rules or conditions by which it needs to operate. And I think those continue again to today. And they're very, very simple. Paul says, first of all, not more than two or three are permitted to speak in a tongue. In other words, you're not to be over the top of each other. It's not a free-for-all. There must be some order around this. And second, he says, there must be an interpretation. There must be somebody who has the gift to say, in plain language, this is what that person has just prayed. And if those conditions are not met, if more people are speaking in tongues than those two or three, or there's no interpretation, guess what you're to do? Stop. Do not go any further. Do not continue with that exercise. You are to stop if those are not happening uh, within the service. Now, again, uh, there is the valid use of, the, I think, the gift of tongues in your personal prayer life. And uh, that is one aspect. Paul's really wanting to regulate this aspect of it that is happening in public worship. Again, I do not have the gift of tongues I've never spoken in tongues. The Lord has not given me that gift. And so I'm learning from this passage today, from chapters 12 to 14. I'm learning from other individuals that I know that do speak in tongue, tongues. And the individuals that I know that speak in tongues mostly do it in their private prayer lives. That, that's where it happens most often. They do use it publicly at times, but they will never use it, they tell me, if they believe that it's going to cause fear or confusion. So they're just really judicious in the way that they're going about that, not wanting to sow any problems or confusion within a church. And by the way, I think that's very mature. One friend who has the gift of tongues told me that she oftentimes also prays and asks God 
for an interpretation. What have I just prayed, Lord? What's valuable of what has just happened that, that I need to know or that maybe somebody else I'm praying for needs to know? And she says, oftentimes, she will get a word from God about that or some kind of a picture even that God gives her about what she has just prayed. I want to remind you again, two weeks ago, this was one of the passages. I'm in 14 verse 13, and this is what Paul says. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he or she may interpret. And so he's saying, it's a good thing whenever you're praying in a tongue to ask God, what does this mean? And oftentimes God discloses that to the person who has prayed in that tongue. But as Paul says here, sometimes it's another person that discloses that. It's the other person that has the gift of interpretation. So one is the tongue, one is the interpretation. Again, privately this can be used. It could be used in a small group setting. It could even be used in corporate worship, but this is what I also want you to hear, and this is very clear from Paul. It's not mandatory. If it's going to cause problems, don't do it. It is not mandatory. It's not at the level of the exposition of the word for a public service, or prayer for a public service, or I would even say singing, all of which I think are really building blocks upon what we do week in and week out, and Paul's saying this is not mandatory, and if all these conditions are not met, then you wouldn't use it. Uh, Now, again, you're smart people here, and uh, you recognize that we're talking about some things that, well, we're we're not a traditionally charismatic church in this way, so we're not using the public gift of speaking in tongues very often. I would call myself very uh, open but cautious, I think, in this area is the way I would kind of state where I am. I don't want to inhibit anything which God wishes for us. On the other hand, I don't want to go recklessly into something he's not leading us into. So I would call myself, again, open but cautious in these ways. Let's move on, because I think the next piece has even more application for us than perhaps the first piece. And the next piece, Paul wants to talk not just about tongues, but also about prophecy. Second, Paul says, bring order around the gift of prophecy. Let's remind ourselves that Paul, uh, two weeks ago, said earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So he's saying desire all of the spiritual gifts, but this one even more because it's so beneficial to the body, because it's in intelligible words that people can understand. And I want to remind you again of the definition that I gave you for prophecy. I know there's others out there, but I really like this one because it's succinct and I think clear. It's from Anglican rector and author Michael Green. And this is what he says prophecy is. It's a word from the Lord through a member of the body, inspired by the Spirit and given to build up the rest of the body. So it is a word from God to you on behalf of somebody else. It's perhaps at times we might say a nudge or a sense that we get from God, that God is telling us something that is for the benefit of somebody else. Uh, We might use words like a prompting or a leading. Those might be words that we're more comfortable with in our setting, that we have a prompting or a leading from God. I I sense this from God. I wish to go back again to the previous passage because generally prophecy needs to accomplish these three things, or at least one of these three things. This is what Paul says in verse 3, chapter 14, verse 3. He says, the one who prophesies speaks to people, and here it is, for their upbuilding, their encouragement, and their consolation, or that also means comfort. And so anytime that is happening, that prophetic uh, utterance is happening, 
It needs to accomplish those things. It needs to upbuild. It needs to encourage. It needs to console. And all of those things are the way that this gift operates. Now, again, this idea of prophecy, we know that there are prophets in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament was more of an office. Again, God called this person a prophet, and they went and, and spoke on his behalf. And also, oftentimes, they were rather harsh. I mean, they said, "Woo, here you go, bang. New Testament prophecy, a little bit different. Again, it's not an office. It's not something that is a person that they have always or all the time. Some people may prophesy more than others, but sometimes people prophesy very infrequently, but when they do it, it's very, very significant. And so again, it's a gift given. It's a gift of a word that or a nudging or a sense that you have about somebody else that's for their benefit. And I want to give you the time in my life where that gift has operated to me for the greatest benefit. I'm taking you back almost 20 years now to my former church in Colorado. Some of you know the story. We left that church, and it was a a bit of a turbulent time, you might say. Uh, I was, first of all, put on leave before I was, well, released. I was fired. Uh, And when that all came down at the very front end of it, it was a very tense time. We didn't really know what was happening. It was just, oh, man, things were just knees and elbows all over the place. And I can tell you the full story if you want to know that. But that's not what's important for today. Uh, what, was, is, what, what was important and what I want you to hear today is that Denise and I were just tense. I mean, it, it, was, it was difficult. We didn't know what was going to happen next. And, you know, we didn't know uh, whether there'd be money that would continue to come in. As it turned out, the church was very gracious in that way. But at that time, we didn't know that. And we were very tense. And what's going to happen with our career? And where are we going to go? And what's, what's, you know, what's up here? And we were tense. And it was, it was, it was, it was anxiety-ridden time. And the elders met on a Tuesday night. And kind of some of our disposition of what was going to be happening in our lives was happening that night. And we knew it. And, of course, I wasn't at that meeting. The elders met at the church. And we didn't quite know what to expect from that. And there was a lady, her name is Michelle. I, I knew her quite well in the church. I considered her to be a big prayer warrior. And Melanie, or excuse me, Michelle came uh, the next day and sent me an email. And Michelle said this. She said, last night, for reasons the Spirit knows, he sent me to my knees, literally, which doesn't happen often because of my arthritis, to pray for the staff at FBC. When I finished... I was reading through my two most used devotional books and twice the verse from Deuteronomy 33, 25 came up. In the New King James, it says that your shoes or sandals shall be iron and bronze and as your days, so shall your strength be. She says, Brian, for some reason, I think I'm supposed to pass this on to you. I don't know why, But there it is. If it doesn't mean anything to you, please forgive me and disregard this. As I said, I don't know why this particularly, you particularly came to mind. She says, maybe it's because I saw you yesterday. Or maybe it was a bit of undigested beef, as Scrooge said. Or maybe it's just loony. Or maybe it's a God thing. But I really don't know. I will leave it with you. Hug Denise for me. She's such a joy to minister with, Michelle. Let me tell you how we heard that. Let me tell you how we received that. Denise and I wept when we received that, and I could still weep over that today. 
Because it was a confirmation to us. It was an affirmation to us that God would give us the strength that we needed to move through that season. And we did. And he did. And it was just from out of the blue that God showed up with us through Michelle, our friend, to offer this sense of it's going to be okay. And it was overwhelming. It was good in all the ways that it was being practiced. It was, it was a beautiful thing for us to receive. Now, it's possible, again, that this is offered as a private gift. That's in this case. It was a private gift given to us. Very few people knew exactly what Michelle had written to us, but we and some close friends knew that, and it meant something. It's oftentimes also operated in which the whole church does hear that, and again, in that public aspect of it, that's the part that Paul wants to regulate. And so again, there are some boundaries around the gift of, of prophecy and its use in a public service. First of all, not more than two or three people can do that at a time. And he says that you all need to regulate that. Again, he says the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. What he means by that is <laughs> the, the prophet has the ability to regulate whether or not they're speaking. And if somebody else is speaking, don't, don't, don't speak on top of them. So have some self-regulation in that or some self-awareness of that and don't be wildly out of control. Second, the church, and this is interesting, the church is to weigh what is said. They are to test prophecy, always, all of the time. In other words, we need to evaluate what a person said and evaluate whether or not that is from the Lord. We have the role of weighing things as a church for their validity. This week I read over several lists that would help us to regulate or help us to evaluate uh, the gift of prophecy and when it's likely true or when it's not. That's beyond the scope of what I want to cover with you this morning, but I think some of you will find that valuable. So if you'll go to my blog, it's brianboone.org. I posted something there today that's one of the lists I really like a lot. And if you're trying to ask the question, is something profitable, is something right, rightly or, or, or likely from God himself, then test it against these ways, and I think you'll find that, again, valuable. There's one more thing I need for you to see about prophecy. First Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says this, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. And I want you to see that first part there. Do not despise prophecies. Why would we have the tendency to despise prophecies? Why would, why would we have that as an inclination at all? I'll tell you why. It's because they are so easily and deeply abused. I'll tell you the story from John Piper. John Piper, years ago, had a woman in his church that came to him and said, Pastor John, I have a word from the Lord for you. His wife at that time was pregnant, so this has been a number of years ago now. But his, this woman said, your wife is going to give birth to a girl, and she is going to die in childbirth. So this was her encouraging gift to Pastor John. He said, all I could do is go back to my study and weep. And he said, I, I, I didn't know what to make of this. He said, we were rather nervous all the way into the birth. And he said, at the birth, we had a boy, not a girl, and my wife came through with flying colors as, and was, it, was a, it was a perfect labor. And he says, you know, it was only at that time that we could actually fully say that was a that was not a gift of prophecy at all. It was somehow somebody misguided in their application of that. And he says, that is the kind of thing that can make us despise prophecy. 
It's the kind of thing that can be out of bounds, that can make us all go, oh, I knew that this was dangerous. I knew that this was reckless. And there's the example. To remember, it can operate as a very beautiful thing. And in our lives, Denise and I have experienced that. There are some other times that I could tell you about where we've experienced that. But I want to instead tell you about a time with Wayne Grudem. He's one of the best theologians that I know, has one of the best systematic theologies used uh, today. And he tells the story, as he's talking about prophecy, of a prayer meeting that he was in. He said he was an elder of his church, and they had a prayer meeting. And this woman came to the prayer meeting, and she came because she said she had a very sore back. So they're laying their hands on this woman and praying for her sore back. And he says, my wife, Margaret, said, hmm, I I just sense there's a tremendous sadness in the room right now. And the woman bursts into tears. And the woman disclosed at that time, she said, oh, she said, I am. I'm so utterly sad because I lost a child years ago. And she said, it's a sadness that's just overtaken me. And so suddenly the prayer meeting shifted from the pain in her back or including the pain in her back to also this tremendous sense of sadness that this woman had. Well, the prayer meeting ended and uh, Wayne Grudem saw, Professor Grudem at that time, saw the woman on campus and he said, how's your back? And she said, uh, honestly, not any better. But she said, but my soul is better. And my soul is better because I I sensed a, a freedom that night. I sensed something that just kind of broke loose that night. And she said, I will be forever grateful that I came to that prayer meeting because of that. It's a beautiful way that that gift can operate and can be very uplifting for people. Well, I know you probably have more uh, questions about the the gift of prophecy and its use within the church. I do too. But there's one more section we need to cover. It's perhaps the real controversial one. And third, Paul says that they need to bring order, again, to some women in public worship. Verses 34 and 35 are very difficult passages to understand. And at first blush, you would read that passage and you would say, Paul is demanding that all women remain silent at all times in all churches. And, you know, that's the way you might read that and go, wow, oh, you know, are we all out of bounds here? Because, you know, we're allowing women to speak all the time in church. And let me just tell you right out of the chute, that's not what Paul means. And I can prove that very, very quickly. Because Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.4 says, when women pray and prophesy in the church. So again, Paul's acknowledging in this very book that there are times in which women are playing an active role in the church and they're speaking out publicly. And so again, Paul is saying uh, something here that is going on that that we need to try to decipher what it is. And it's not easy because we are not completely sure about the situation that's happening with them. But there seems to be some very obtuse actions by some women that are disrupting the service. That seems to be what is happening and why Paul wants to give some regulation around that. Can I just remind you that there's three groups that Paul says that are to keep silent. Or he uses that very same language or that same word, keep silent. First of all, those who speak in tongues but don't have somebody to interpret should, he says, keep silent. He says, those who are prophesying while somebody else is prophesying should keep silent. Let that person go until they're done and then, and then you can go. So keep silent. And then he says, women are to keep silent. So there seems to be a theme here around an occasional time in which silence should be occurring. 
And he says it's almost like a circumstantial silence, not a perpetual silence. And that's what's going on in this church as best I can make it out. Now again, there are two very common interpretations of this passage. I want to give you both of those, tell you kind of which one I choose. Uh, Some believe that Paul is addressing actually wives in the congregation rather than all women. And if you remember, gune is the word in Greek that means wife or woman. And so context tells you which one it means. In this case, context doesn't completely tell us that, but some believe that wives are the ones that are being instructed here, that some wives are somehow uh, saying stuff in the church that's bringing dishonor to their husbands, and that is why they are required right now, at least, to be silent and talk to their husbands at home because somehow it's disrupting the service. The second interpretation is that it's, again, for women, but it's for a specific group of women who are being disruptive in their comments and their questions. I would call them the rowdy group. And Paul's saying you need to rein in the rowdy group. The rowdy group needs to keep silent. And if it was the men that was the rowdy group, the men would need to be reined in to be silent. Because, again, anytime the service is being disrupted in this way, it's not bringing honor to God. Although I wouldn't die for it, I probably favor the first interpretation that he's really speaking about wives. And I think that the context makes sense here. But he, he, again, I don't think Paul is saying that this is for all churches at all times. I think this is an isolated incident which is happening in Corinth. And you know, some of my good evidence for that is Paul doesn't address this in almost any other book. None of his epistles pick up themes like this. So I think it's something that's happening there at Corinth at this time and is not pervasive at all of the churches all of the time. Furthermore, and I might say, I don't believe CCF is suffering problems here. I don't think we have a, a, a really unruly group of women that are causing problems in our service or are disrupting our service. And so again, circumstantial, it's a time back here in Corinth that it's a problem there, but not necessarily a problem in all churches over all times. All right. As we're covering the passage today, I'm hoping you're feeling with me that maybe some of the instances in Corinth are not completely transferring over to us. Here's what I mean by that. I I, I don't think that we have a group that's out of control. We don't have ecstatic utterances that are occurring that are really causing us problems. We don't have everybody stepping over the top of each other. We don't have endemic disorder that's happening in the church. So how do we apply this? Well, I'd like to go back to the biggest thing that I think meant something to me this week, which is prophecy. And Paul says this, we earnestly desire prophecy. We don't despise, he says, prophecy. And so I'm wondering today if you are open somehow to prophecy. I'm, opening, uh, I'm asking if you're open somehow to God, if you have that gift, giving you something on behalf of somebody else, or that you might receive somebody who speaks into your life who says, for whatever reason, I think, you know, kind of like Michelle in our lives, I think I'm supposed to tell you this. And she did that with a great sense of humility. She did that with a great sense of, of love for us. But she said, I, you know, I think I, in my prayer life, you came up, and I think this is what you need to hear. To hear. I'm wondering if you're open to that. Maybe some in the room have already experienced that. Maybe there's been a nudge that you've had from God and you've gone to somebody else and said, you know, take this for what it's worth, but I think I'm supposed to tell you this. Or maybe you've had somebody give you that and you know the gift that it can be. Living with this kind of prophetic environment, I think requires two things of us. The first thing that it requires is a prayer life before God 
in which we are regularly communicating him, seeking him. And, you know, again, God is not in the habit of giving this kind of, uh, of, of help or instruction to people that are not pretty open for it. So again, I, I wouldn't anticipate that you would be experiencing anything from God in this way if it wasn't a, a regular part of your life to be praying and seeking him. So that would be the first one. The second one will be a level of humility because you have to be a humble person in order to have somebody else come to you. You have to know that you live interdependently within the body of Christ to have somebody come and speak to you in that way. So we would have to have a level of humility in our lives. And of course, all of this would constantly be compared with Scripture. Nothing ever prophetically said is in contradiction to the Scriptures. And... If it's something of significance, maybe it's something about your future or maybe something about your job or something, you would be going to other people that you trust and saying, hey, this is what somebody told me. How does that add up? I mean, does it make sense to you? Is that something that is of value to us? And so you're weighing that. You're testing that all of the time. And, and perhaps that is one way in which God may have some level of application of this to our lives. Uh, anytime we are using this gift, it's, it's meeting a need. It's meeting our thirsty souls to hear from God in an affirming way, in an encouraging way, in an upbuilding way, and that is better for the body of Christ in the long run. Well, friends, as we come to the end of this on spiritual gifts, this is what I want to remind you. Every one of you has a spiritual gift from God. Every one of you. And you are called to use that gift to help others, to build up others. Would you lean into that? Would you lean into asking God, how in love can I help this body to be fully yours? We will glorify God as we do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your instruction, especially from 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, which talk about spiritual gifts in the church. What a valuable thing that you have given us a snapshot into. And Lord, we don't pretend that CCF in Edmonds, Washington is equivalent to Corinth in all ways, but we are in some. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to press upon us how your gifts of the Spirit are valuable, useful, beneficial at CCF and that we would practice those well for your glory. Lord, there seems to be some boundaries around some of these gifts, and we would ask, Lord, that we would uh, do all things to honor you more than we would honor ourselves. Thank you for each person here, for those that uh, know their spiritual gifts and are practicing those regularly. Bless them, Lord, as they do that. For those that are maybe wading in and trying to discover that, trying to discover how you've gifted them, I pray, Holy Spirit, Guide them also so that they might understand how you've made them and that they would glorify you also. Thank you, Lord, for again, each person here and the way that you have knit this body together. We seek to be yours. We seek to be your disciples. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.